Hey guys, Jim Cox, Devon Financial Partners, Park Avenue Securities, and I'm here with an interview today with an old friend. Uh, we had met a number of years ago, um, Dan Orzak, and um, we had um, kind of crossed paths. Um, he was working in the renewable energy space, and uh, he had moved out to uh, Oregon a number of years ago and we caught back up to each other. And I wanted to learn more about the work that he's doing. I thought it was interesting on a couple of different fronts, and I think you'll get a lot of a lot of value at it. So, uh, Dan, thanks for taking the time to chat. My pleasure, Jim. Awesome. So, what what's your background? How did you get involved in renewable energy? So how did you end up moving back out to uh, to Oregon at this point? Gotcha. So your uh, organization that you've started is the Oregon Clean Power Cooperative. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did uh, that come about? Called a unique Oregon institution called Renewable Energy Cooperatives. Uh, 
Canada. Um, we're the first one doing that on a statewide level in the U.S. There, there's some other folks in uh, New England doing something similar and in uh, Minnesota, I believe. Um, so it, it took a while to get off the ground. We were fortunate. We, we had some startup funding from some of the major environmental uh, nonprofits in Oregon. Um, and the idea is that um, that there's until we came along, there's no way to actually invest in a solar project um, in your community. So let's let's take a church for example. You might want to put solar up, help put solar up on the roof of your church um, as a congregation member, say, um, and you can make a donation to do that. But until the co-op, there was no way to actually get your principal back and make uh, a modest return as well. So that's, uh, that's what we do. We're, um, we're uh, uh, focused on renewable energy of all sorts, not just solar, but um, micro hydro and uh, small wind um, in Oregon. And our unique ability is the ability to take investment from everyday people, from non-accredited investors, and put that into community-based projects. So that's very akin to kind of what's going on with the uh, development of like the uh, slow money movement. Is is that kind of an accurate representation? Uh, yes, I would say absolutely. I kind of uh, picture us at the intersection of two broad social movements. So one obviously is the movement towards clean energy, um, and the other is, as you're as you're saying, the uh, whatever you want to call it, the invest local movement, the slow money. Uh, movement um, and that that has a bunch of different manifestations of which we're just kind of one aspect and and you know one one aspect is the crowdfunding um, world. You could think of us as crowdfunding for local renewable energy. That's awesome. So how many projects have you done to date? Like what's the success been? Awesome. What uh, what kind of build time do you have on a like a project like from uh, application through completion? Like, what's the time cycle for that? Well, it, it depends a lot on the individual project. Um, some of them go quickly. Some of them uh, have taken one of them has taken almost a year. Um, but that's uh, you know that's not necessarily reason specific to the project. It had to do with things like permitting and mm -hmm. solar. Yeah. 
for the city of Hood River. Um, people may know Hood River because it's it's uh, the windsurfing capital of, of uh, the country, if not the world, hmm. uh, up the Columbia Gorge. Um, and then we've got a bunch of churches and uh, high school, um, uh, a library, uh, county building, um, and so on. So one of, one of the um, one of the things I was you mentioned. Uh, permitting and uh, some of the headwinds that you run into, you know, one of the kind of opposition forces to the spread of solar has seemed to have been uh, utilities. Utilities don't really do a lot to encourage solar installation in uh, a lot of places in the United States. Do you find that resistance among the utility in your area or... Or are they supporters? I would, say, um, I would say nationally that's changing rapidly. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, and, and even in the last year. Um, so I can, I can give you kind of two uh, reasons. I think that one is if you look nationally, um, in the last year you see a whole bunch of um, utilities uh, doing large requests for proposals, RFPs for uh, for large solar uh, systems. Uh, I mean, literally across the country. So uh, you know, Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, uh, 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 just all over the place. New Mexico, um, uh, Washington State, uh, and that's being driven by the declining costs of power uh, of solar. So. Um, the, the latest large RFPs, the bids have come in at less than uh, the price of, of electricity generated by coal. Wow. So I think utilities are, you know, they're starting to look at that and they're, they're feeling the pressure from their uh, customers um, and society at large. Um, so that's kind of the national picture. And but it, that was true. Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Well, and that's that's why you see the you know the focus, I guess, on large scale solar, which they can control, as opposed to decentralized yeah. homeowner solar, right? Yeah, mostly. Yeah, that's I would say that's right. Hmm. So what? Um, one when we talked before, you had mentioned the impact of uh, battery technology is having in terms of the work that you do as well. Could you talk a little bit about that? the technology 
price curve following out of solar, so that the price of solar panels has dropped, you know, dramatically over the last uh, X number of years. And I think batteries are going to do the same thing. Um, so right now the price is still a little bit high, um, but we are we're very focused on that. And the reason is for two reasons. One is that it can help with the sort of daily um, uh, curve of, of solar production. So solar tends to peak in the uh, mid-afternoon, let's say, and generally, uh, particularly in the summer when you've got air conditioning load, the peak electric usage is a few hours later than that. So solar can help with that um, and potentially also give you a, a, a savings on your bill, a benefit trip to savings on your bill. But the real reason that we're looking at it is for uh, resiliency, uh, disaster preparedness. Mm. Um, so most people probably don't realize that if you, if you have a solar, uh, say you have solar panels on your roof and the grid goes down, those actually, you can't access that electricity. Uh, and there's a good reason for that. It has to do with safety because the utilities need to know where electricity is coming onto the grid when they've got uh, repair people out there working on the lines. They need to know what, what lines are alive. Um, so if there's a disaster, a uh, natural disaster, say, uh, like Hurricane Irma or Harvey or uh, Sandy, um, if you've got solar, it's not going to do you or the community any good unless you have batteries. And then you can be independent from the grid um, and continue having electricity. You probably won't be able to power your whole building but you might be able to run some key circuits. And in the Pacific Northwest, we are very concerned about the, uh, what we call the coming big one, which is the Cascadia event, which is an earthquake that is, according to the geologists, overdue uh, mm. to hit Oregon and, and Washington. Um, so the idea, what we're working on, is trying to create islands of or pockets of power that are available after a natural disaster. And you might say that, well, you've got generators, typically at key locations like fire stations and police stations and medical facilities. And that's true, but the problem is um, what they saw after Hurricane Sandy, for example, was well, a generator ran for you know a day or two days or maybe three days, but then they ran out of fuel, and yeah. the gas stations didn't have electricity, so they weren't pumping. Yeah. So then those, those facilities went dark as well. So with solar, you can extend the life of a generator, and then when that tank of gas or diesel or whatever runs out, you've still got power. Yeah, one of the um, – Sandy was, I think, a pivotal event in terms of that idea of uh, resiliency. Uh, I know there was a, uh, a story I remember from uh, most of the state was dark for almost two weeks at least um, due to – the infrastructure problems and uh, one of the holdouts was actually Princeton and mainly because Princeton had its own generating facility and its own storage facility for energy and uh, was able actually to continue operation and kind of be that island of uh, that island that you were referring to so towards what they're calling microgrids um, and you know the, the 
topics of power and that they may be connected. Um, there's only one, uh, I think the East Coast is probably leading that, that technology, but um, there's one kind of demonstration project here that, that our Portland uh, General Electric um, put together in Salem uh, that's really pretty cool. They've got about five megawatts of laptop batteries um, in, a, in a building connected to uh, a small solar array and some generators at public buildings. And they can disconnect that whole thing um, so that that part of the grid, you know, if the larger grid goes down, they can, they can provide power there locally. Hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is this um, idea of a co-op. And I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, what needs to change in terms of the economy to, from a structural standpoint, to really make it more sustainable, more human or humane, I guess. And this idea of forming a co-op is really a different economic system. You know, it, it, it starts from different assumptions. So what what makes a co-op unique? Like what So it's really a matter of kind of kind of pooling resources and then sharing in the what the what's grown from those resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in a world with you know economic inequality, I think that there's a lot that can be said for kind of looking at changing into systems that. Uh, are more distributive of what's produced. So. Yeah. Yeah, and you know I think there's a lot of interest. <laughs> excuse me, in, 
opportunity to to uh, put your money to work locally, where you can actually you know see um, what you're investing in on on the roof of your kid's school, for example, or you know your town's library or your church. Yeah. And, and I think there's the, the people who have joined the co-op and invested. Um, I think are driven in large part by that and and by their Yeah, I mean, socially responsible investing, I think, is um, it's really it's really about trying to manage risk. And I think people are becoming more aware of their ability to make decisions that empower them rather than just kind of going along with the herd and, you know, being carved up. Uh, you know, by whatever happens. Yeah. What, um, you know, one of the shifting gears a little bit, um, one of the side effects of climate change is glacial melt and snowpack melt. Um, I'm assuming you mentioned hydropower being the main energy source for the area, um, do you see a decrease in terms of uh, water in terms of the impact of climate change? And, you know, because decrease in water would then lead to increase in hydroelectric rates, I would imagine.
It's true. That's awesome. That's a good perspective and good long-term perspective of kind of where we're at and where we need to go. What, um, if somebody wanted to look at starting a solar co-op similar to what you've done, but in a, in a different place, like what would be some first steps for them to, to look at to see if it makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and give them, you know, tell, talk about our experience. Um, co-ops, and there's sort of two issues. One is, uh, you know, forming a co-op itself is, is probably not that complicated. Uh, every state, and it would be on a state-by-state basis because every state has slightly different laws. Um, but you can incorporate a co-op. Um, and and then what's, what's also different is the, uh, the security questions. So we actually... Uh, had to go to the Oregon legislature and get a, uh, a very small piece of leg- legislation, um, but it was an exemption, essentially a securities exemption. Um, and so you have to look at that in your own state and see what's, and it may not be anything involved at all. Um, I mean, I know there are some co-ops doing, uh, for example, things like um, community real estate development, uh, and you know they're able to take investment with very simple investment documents hmm. so there's, there's probably no it's not one size fits all uh, there are also organizations that will help you get started so we were we were helped a lot by um, uh, a nonprofit out of for the Pacific Northwest that are in uh, Washington called the um, Northwest Cooperative Development Council hmm. um, so you can find groups like that that's awesome advice um, if somebody wants to um, catch up with you and learn more about the work that you're doing, how can they uh, reach out to you? Sure. Best way is probably through our website, um, which is www.oregoncleanpower.coop. So it's not .com, it's .coop. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your taking the time today to uh, share what you've been up to. And... Um, you know, really productive um, discussion. I appreciate your taking the time. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. I'll talk to you in a little bit. Take care.